Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that never shies away from looking at the property world from a fresh angle. And today we're doing that to the retail sector and asking whether getting greener might be one of the keys to its future prosperity. There's a significant amount of stock nationally up and down the country that needs to be fixed in some way or in theory we risk losing a significant proportion of our high streets. What we're talking about with reimagining retail is actually going back to the true true sustainability and the true pillars of sustainability being environmental, social and economic and actually not being just about you know carbon reporting but about communities, about social value, about what you do with high streets, what you do with people's lives. We're seeing lenders who are a big part of it being more favourable terms in terms of how they lend on these assets and therefore you need to be right on the top of your game with those assets on the ESG agenda without a shadow of a doubt. I'm Guy Ruddle and I'm joined by three people with a combined more than 50 years of Savile's experience, all of whom spend most of their time thinking about new ways to make retail space work. Let's start with Tom Whittington, who is Director of Retail and Leisure Research and the lead person behind Savile's Reimagining Retail Reports, which we'll talk about a lot uh, in the next 20 minutes. Tom, welcome back to Real Estate Insights. Last time we saw you was, was in an axe-throwing bar about six years ago, I think. I wear many hats. Mark Garman-Jones is Head of Shopping Centre Investment and Repurposing. We'll hear more about that as well. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kevin. And Chris Cummings is a director in the Savills Earth team. He spent pretty much his whole career thinking about sustainability in the built environment and is no stranger to Real Estate Insights. Welcome back, Chris. Good to be back. Thanks, Guy. Right, let's get stuck into this then. Um, Tom, let's start with you. This concept of reimagining retail, uh, it's a Savills thing, uh, and I, ga- I, I gather it takes up quite a lot of your time, so you better tell us what it's all about. Well, it all started about five years ago when we started to see real distress in the department store market. And we wanted to be proactive and think about what actually could be better uses for those uh, particular assets. And that launched the first uh, publication of Reimagining Retail because we wanted to share our learnings with the market and also get insights from outside of Savills. And that very quickly uh, developed to realising that this wasn't just a department store issue, it was a, a retail place problem. So the next publication was all about retail places and the economic sustainability and how we improve those places. And then with COP26, we realised the next publication really should be about the uh, greening of retail space, so environmental sustainability to follow economic sustainability and seeing how those issues really entwined together. Yeah, and it is the hot topic at the moment. Mark, you spend uh, all your time looking at, at, at how to sort of repurpose or, or what repurposing opportunities there are in retail space. Do you find that, that ESG on, on, on is top of everyone's thinking at the moment, is top of mind all the time? Well, there's a number of headwinds that we're up against at the moment, but it's undoubtedly the the way that the money, the stakeholders and those people involved in it are absolutely looking at it through that g- green lens, which, you know, isn't just, you know, that environmental piece. There's so many community elements to it as well. And I think post, you know, a pandemic, et cetera, the way people identify with their towns has been so important. So, now we're working for councils, we're working for developers, we're working for lenders, all of those people that want to see a solution to some pretty challenging times that, that we're having. So frankly, you know, everyone is, you know, the time that we never used to spend talking about ESG is now a big part of a, our, our daily life. In my head, there's a tendency for me to think that when we're talking about ESG, we're talking about improving buildings or 
doing new buildings in a particular way. But but a lot of this is about, as we say, reimagining and repurposing uh, property uh, and retail space. So is there an is there a, an element of thinking about what you turn it into as part of the ESG thing, rather than you know just the putting stuff on the roof or, or reusing water and everything? Yeah, I mean Tom's right. ESG is a, a part of the conversation. It's one of the drivers, but ESG is an internal machination. Really, it is to do with investments, it's to do with audit trails, it's to do with companies and how they interact with this space. What we're talking about with reimagining retail is actually going back to the true true sustainability and the true pillars of sustainability being environmental, social and economic and actually not being just about you know carbon reporting but about communities, about social value, about what you do with high streets, what you do with people's lives. So it's it's much bigger than ESG. It's much more of a true, you know, pure sustainability in that respect. A lot of people are identifying with their towns and cities, which they probably didn't, they weren't that proud about them or they want to see them changed and the, and the, the community and the politicians acknowledge that now. Which I is think as, as they've come under threat, as we've seen, that that makes people more aware of it. I mean, no one cared about pandas until they started becoming extinct. You're getting the same thing with your local high street. And um, once it starts to become under threat, people get a real kind of sense of, oh God, and we need to preserve that. That's our thing. What am I going to do without it? Whereas they just took it for granted before. So, so uh, I, I want to spend as, as much time as we possibly can talking about uh, sort of examples of, of what can be done and what should be being done and, and things like that. But before we get there, I'd like to talk a little bit about the drivers of this and what's you know what's really driving it. And the obvious place to start, Tom, is with regulation. What's the most important thing, and and is it helpful or a hindrance? Well, it's helpful and hindrance, but it gets the argument going. The the fact is that there isn't enough regulation in many ways, but the most significant regulation that we're all talking about is with energy performance certificates, which is about the energy performance of individual units and the, the, the carbon usage of those units. And the reason that's important now and why it's on everybody's agenda is because we've got certain um, bridges that we need to cross before 2030 in order to improve those um, those units. And we're getting to a point where we've got um, to get to a grade B for 2030, and that accounts for 83% of all retail space in the UK. Sorry, 83% of retail space in the UK doesn't meet a standard that it needs to meet by 2030. Yeah, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Um, the, there are all sorts of issues with the regulation whether it actually goes ahead. But what it does do, which is helpful, is raise the significance of the issue if we're going to reach net zero on our high streets. And probably the most significant thing for me that's come out of this research is that most of our Savile's client base is about institutional stock and landlords, but actually that only accounts for about 40% of ownerships and only about 25% of high street emissions. So there's a significant amount of stock nationally up and down the country that needs to be fixed in some way, or in theory, we risk losing a significant proportion of our high streets. So that's the sort of the regulatory situation. But, you know, for this, for, for, for all this to happen well, it, it can't can it be driven solely by the the, the stick? It's, a lot of it's got to be the carrot, hasn't it? And, and, and what what people want to do anyway because it makes good economic sense. One thing I think that's important to say about the EPC that links to the question there is that to some extent EPCs are an unwanted distraction from other economic or environmental improvements that could be arguably more effectively implemented on that retail stock. And that is causing a bit of headaches for landlords as well. But landlords are 
are leading the charge and are undertaking what they can to reduce their their costs and improve their ESG credentials. Yeah, I mean, it's undoubtedly a long-term agenda now. You don't think about this on a five-year play. You think it's on a generational play. I mean, listen, you know, the statue is not there compared to where the market is. The market is moving incredible pace on this, and it's refreshing to see so many members of the industry realising that they need to do something about it, whether they're an existing owner or going to be a buyer. But I think ultimately there's so many people involved in this. I mean, yes, there's some challenges. You know, they're trying to work out who's going to pay for this, this improvement and the capex and how it goes for that. You know, the landlords want the tenants to pay. The tenants want the landlords to pay. How does that relationship work? But we're also in a position where we're seeing you know, lenders who are a big part of it, you know, being more favourable terms in terms of how they lend on these assets. And therefore, you know, ultimately, if you want to exit out to an institutional lender in the future, whether it be 5, 10, 15 years from now, you need to be right on the top of your game with those assets on the ESG agenda without a shadow of a doubt. Absolutely right that the, the market is, is driving it way ahead of legislation, but only the kind of top end of the market. That's the big players that are, are driving that. Everyone else, the kind of small mum and pup retail outlets and things that are in generally kind of low quality, you know, you can say that high streets or you know, taking on low rent places, that, the ones that really need some help they're the ones that are going to get swept up by the tail of legislation. And the really interesting thing about that kind of forgotten stock bit, you know, we talked about the fact that reimagining retail started with sort of occupationally challenged locations and then in, in, and then we started talking about the environmental issue. Actually, this is the point where those two things bookend the market. The same occupationally challenged locations that lack investment are exactly the same places that will have the lowest quality environmental or, or highest carbon emissions associated with them and therefore it's the same pot that needs to be fixed. So, We've, now we've got to this point of, of setting the scene completely. Let's see if we can, I mean, we're not going to give people, I don't imagine we're going to give people intimate practical advice about specific buildings in, in the next 10 minutes or so. But in practice, in terms of, you might hate me for saying greening your buildings or greening your urban environment or, or whatever, uh, are there sort of overarching principles for what you should and shouldn't be doing? The overarching principles for decarbonising any built environment are always the same. It's always fabric first. You you make it as, as tight and as controlled as possible. So that's why you have air tightness and that's why you have insulation. When you're doing those two things and focusing on that, all you're doing is bringing as much of that, the environment that you're trying to create within that space, you're just bringing that under your own control. Once it's under your control, then that's when you can change how, what you do with the lighting, what with the ventilation, what, what you're fuel supply is and how you're going to treat those spaces it's difficult in retail especially when you've got uh, storefronts um the big thing we've seen lately is about everyone opening their doors and we're talking to some of the west end operators obviously there's this initiative in france for everyone to close their shop doors you have to do that on a neighborhood basis you know everyone's come back to open their doors again after covid and that's what they that's what they say and sort of slightly changing the subject, I, we'll come back to the sort of practical things uh, in a sec, but Mark, the, you, you could go further back. When you talk about fabric first, I mean, this maybe isn't fabric first, but you know, the, the principle that you know, the, the best building ecologically is the one you don't build. In, in your world of repurposing rather than knocking down and starting again, you, th- that, that must make your heart sing when you hear that. It does, and I think the, the, the comments about retrofitting, you know, the Americans were really been really hot on that. We were slightly behind that, I would say. Retrofitting retail spaces are undoubtedly, it's, it's the way that people are, are looking at these things. And I think that's great because in many cases, some of these buildings have actually been there already for 40, 50 years. 
you know, the fact they're not getting demolished and something new built up. Interesting, some of our most challenging assets, they were probably the ones that have been built in until 2000 plus. They're where we're having probably the most challenges on the repurposing. And there, they might well actually work better from a sort of retrofitting, whether it be within the education space, whether it be in the healthcare space, or even sort of senior living and, and things like that. But I think it's great. I think it's speed of uh, speed of doing it as well is, is really effective. So I think it's undoubtedly the way that people don't want to knock their real estate down if and unless they really have to. There are buildings that maybe make a lousy shopping centre that would make a great hotel or that would make a, a terrible place to work but have a brilliant opportunity as residential. And actually that lower carbon opportunity can be from changing the direction and changing the life of those buildings. And you're absolutely right, the older they are, the, t- the more they tend to be a long life, loose fit. I mean, I, building I live in, in Camberwell used to be the old Camberwell bus garage. You know, but, but before that, it was a stables. And, and after that, it was a shopping centre. And now it happens to be some flats. Um, that's, you know, a true sustainability because it, it's a bit wonky and it's, <laughs> it's a bit damp. But, you know, it's that's true sustainability. It's been there for 120 years and had these new lives. But I think the investors and the occupiers and the people that go to these places don't, don't want a short-term elastoplast over the issue and say, oh, well, then we're going to have another problem. They want to find that something that, that is a longer term, but it has to be flexible, doesn't it? I mean, I think you know, trends and fads, there I use the phrase fads, you know, come in and out. And something that might be absolutely bang on for that community for the next five, 10 years, suddenly will go out again and it can be used again and again. You've only got to look at the repurposing that's happened in America in, in their, some of their mouths. They've been on this journey a lot longer than we have. And uh, they've got education, universities, uh, hospitals on first floors of uh, of shopping centres. And this is where it's really interesting because it ties in the green agenda, it ties in with repurposing because you've got more people coming to one place for multiple functions that's reduced journeys. So it actually creates more sustainable transport. That 15-minute city, Tom, and communities that we've talked a lot about, and a lot of people have identified with that, has been a big part of that, isn't it? These places, they're going to live there, going to work there, and they're going to have fun and play there as well. I mean, it's so important. Just, yeah. just explain what a 15-minute city is. Well, the, it's the idea that you've got most things that you need within a 15-minute journey, walk time, bicycle time, whatever. A lot of those 15-minute cities already exist. And when we're talking about this repurposing and reimagining piece, we have to be mindful of that because there's a tapestry of different things that already exist in those places. Now, if we decide every one of those retail units is actually better off being flats, then it doesn't exist anymore. You know, someone's got to take responsibility for what that mix looks like across that high street so that you've got all of the things that you need to tick off to create a 15-minute community, 15 minutes, because you can very easily destroy that in a repurposing effort. And each of those individual stakeholders will want to get the best thing out of their asset. But the local authorities and the planners need to make sure that kind of urban fabric remains as interesting as possible. And that's the challenge of repurposing. It's working out what's right in one place. You know, So in Edinburgh, a department store has been converted to a museum. Um, in other places, where wholesale shopping centres have been closed, Stockton upon Tees, they're actually knocking down the shopping centre and to create a public park. And the rationale there is that they want to create an environment that brings people back, that makes them want to live and work there, and then the economic regeneration starts from there, and then the retail around it will, will thrive. When Tom starts talking about this stuff, you can see the passion. I think you can probably hear the hear the passion. So have you have you got favourite examples you two as well of, uh, that have, we haven't mentioned before that you think people should know more about? I was actually involved, talking about Edinburgh again, way back when um, we were involved in the redevelopment of the St. James's shopping centre there. And we then now created a sort of world-class 
retail destination but it has you know lead, you know a market leading beautiful new hotel it's got residential it's got student accommodation it's got offices and it's just such a, a beautiful place and it's moved the whole of the retail in Edinburgh has moved to that that part of town and it's a beautiful piece of architecture the city council have been fully part of it some incredible funders have been involved in it and the occupiers have embraced it and have seen just amazing performance coming from the asset. So that's, for me, something that I've personally been involved in and I'm really proud of. I like the kind of transitional spaces, the in-between bits where, you know, things like Peckham Levels and things like the, the street feasts that take over the old buildings, bring some new life into them for a little while. It might be an in-between use while something actually is going to happen in development purpose. But, you know, th- those those spaces and those things that come and go into communities and provide a need and make re- reimagine a car park or a shopping centre or an old yeah. printing factory and things So listen, we would normally at this stage do uh, our little feature, Tell Me Something uh, I Don't Know. But we're we're just going to do it very slightly different this time. Uh, We're going to do a thing that we're going to call What One Change. So what one change would you, if you could only choose one thing to change or have people do differently, what would it be? Um, there's a lot of frowning going on. Tom, you look ready to answer that question. So why don't you He's go like first? a coiled spring, isn't yeah. he? Guy? Well, it's probably the same answer I'd have given for uh, all of our iterations of reimagining retail because it's about public sector ownership and ability for compulsory purchase orders because there's so much of that stock that's fragmented that needs improving from an occupational perspective. And as I said earlier, they're the same uh, locations that need to be improved. But how do we get hold of them and how do we actually create assets that we can actually do something with and turn them around? That's going to have to be public sector run, which given everything else that's happening, I know that's a tough tough order but i think that's a yeah that's absolutely bang on i would say probably would be one of my things as well because we've seen the most successful projects that we've been involved with are those where you have that powerful council community pushing it that are drive driving the agenda i you know, definitely agree with that my separate one thing i i'd say that probably positivity and passion there's some amazing creative people uh, across the industry and across the country that want to transform their town and city centres. And I think positivity and focus, whether it be through creative lending structures or just collaboration, that's, that's it for me, really. Chris, do you, what, what one... Th- I mean, that must be impossible for you because you're so steeped in this whole area to, to come up with one thing. But anyway, you've got to, so, so do it. Uh, well, yeah, I would try and... Well, my wish would be that there'd, there'd be something that was a driver that covered that broader environmental social economic piece that preserved those high streets that preserved that heritage took those things into consideration that said yes you need to decarbonize in terms of what you're actually using in energy in the space but you're in a heritage asset and that brings stuff you you provide these jobs that brings stuff you're already in a 15-minute city so we don't you know we could use that building something else and move you out of town everyone's got to jump in their cars that would have an impact let's not do that let's give you benefit for that for staying there and something that that drives that true sustainability and helps us work towards net zero, but in a just transition way that respects everything else. I'm feeling quite inspired by all that, actually. I, I, thank you very much for that. Thanks you all for, for being here. Thanks for your time and your wisdom. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, that's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. Uh, if you're interested in more information, I can't imagine why you wouldn't be. There's so much on the research section of the Sales website, sales.co.uk slash research, including the Reimagining Retail Report, which is on the research section of the website. Does it have its own section, Tom? Sales.com forward slash Reimagining Retail. There you are. 
that's the website address you need. As I say, that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.